Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be with you all. My name is Joe White. Uh, I'm a pastor or a, a counselor in the Orlando area, but I'm also a teaching elder in your presbytery. If you don't know what that means, you're one of the normal people in the room. That just means that I, I am an ordained pastor in the network of, of uh, churches that this church is a part of, and I'm delighted to be here. I'm delighted to, uh, I love getting to open up God's Word and preach it to my own heart. Uh, if you would like to listen in, uh, you can. You're already here. Um, and uh, do you ever preach to yourself? Do you ever preach to yourself? Do you know that if, if you're a Christian, you're actually a preacher and your congregation is your own heart? Um, to get through this arduous journey of life in this broken world, uh, we have to be taking gospel words and sowing them into the fabric of our own hearts. Um, God has given us words to uh, use to do just that. There's actually this interesting phenomenon that happens in the book of Psalms. So the, if you're not as familiar with the Bible, the book of Psalms, a book of poetic song-like prayers uh, to God. But there's this interesting thing that happens several occasions in the book of Psalms. The psalmist will actually interrupt himself and interrupt his prayer to God and actually start talking to his own soul. And the phrase he uses is, my soul, or, oh, my soul. The psalm that we're going to look at this morning is one of these examples where David, actually in the middle of his prayer, he starts preaching to himself. And the word, there's a couple words he preaches to himself, but one in particular we're going to focus on this morning, such an important word for us uh, to also need to learn to sow into the fabric of our own hearts and to preach to ourselves. So I'm going to read for us from Psalm 103. I'm just going to read the first 13 verses. If you want to follow along, I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, it's also in a Bible. So if you have one of those, you can <clears throat> read it in there. Um, so this is Psalm 103, verses 1 to 13. Why don't you do me a favor? I don't know what your you know, traditions are around here, but why don't you stand for, uh, for this reading of God's word, just as a show of deference to God speaking to us this morning. It says this, Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. This is God's word for us this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Here's what I, the phrase I want to call your attention to. David says in verse 2, O oh my soul, forget not 
forget not. In other words, remember. The word, one of the words that David is wanting to sew into his, the fabric of his heart is the word remember. Now, remember is an important word in the Bible. You may know this. Uh, it's one of the most uh, frequent commands in the Bible is the command to remember. Why? Why is that one of the most frequent commands in the Bible? Because if we're not commanded to remember, we will forget. We are a forgetful bunch. There's this place in Deuteronomy 6, actually kind of funny, um, Sometimes the Bible's funny, okay? And in Deuteronomy 6, you have uh, arguably the most important verse for Israel still to this day. Uh, and it's, it's called the Shema. And it's uh, where <clears throat> the, the verse goes, the, the Lord, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. So really just encapsulating who God is and who they are to be to him. So seminal, so important. And so then right after it, God says, but you're going to be tempted to forget this. So what I need you to do, and he gives them this long, again, kind of comical checklist of things they need to do so they don't forget this. And he's like, write it on your doorpost, you know, do one of those finger tie things, whatever you need to do. Talk about it when you're walking, when you're sitting with your children so that you don't forget because we are prone to forget and forgetfulness comes at a cost. Forgetfulness comes at a cost. To illustrate this, there's a verse in the New Testament, in, uh, Peter's second letter, Second Peter 1, Peter says that we are to grow in goodness, self-control, godliness, kindness, and love. But then he says, whoever is not growing in these qualities, verse 9, quote, they are nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Peter says if you're not growing, it's in part due to the fact that you're forgetting. You're not remembering. This is how important remembering is. This is why we have to learn to say with David, oh my soul, remember. Because we are prone to forget, just like him. Forget what? Well, verse 2, oh my soul, forget not his benefits. His benefits. We are always in danger of forgetting how without God and what he's done for us and who he is to us and what he continues to do for us, that we are in deficit. We are always in danger of forgetting that we need him. Lord, I need you. Every hour, I need you. So we got to preach to ourselves, remember. This morning, let's remember three things that we need to remember, Okay. We'll walk through these together. We see them in the psalm. Here's the first thing that we need to remember. Who he is. Who our God is. In verse 8, David quotes Exodus 34. Okay? And you know, it, it references, it says, in the days of Moses. He's taking us back to this time in the story of Israel uh, when God had just rescued them from slavery in Egypt. And now Moses says to God up on the mountain, Moses said, I want to see you. Show me your glory because I want to know you and I want to understand you. And you're amazing. And like, can you show yourself to me? And God says, I'm going to pass by you. You'll, you'll see my back. But then as God is passing by Moses, God says something. And this is really important, okay? This is God telling us about God. 
That's really important. Anytime God's going to tell us about God, we should probably listen, right? What does he say? He says what David quotes right here verbatim in verse 8. He says to Moses, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love. It's what David quotes in verse 8. And it's so important, again, because it's literally God saying, this is who I am. Now, I want to highlight a couple of things that God is saying about himself that we need to remember. When we think of who is God, oh, my soul, remember who God is Two things. One, his love is bountiful. His love is bountiful. Hear these words. Hear these words again. Let them wash over you. Maybe even close your eyes and listen to these words again. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He's compassionate. He's he's gentle with you. He's gracious. He is ready to show mercy to you. He's slow to anger. Literally, the phrase in the Hebrew uh, is he's long in the nostrils, meaning he's he's not flaring his nostrils at you. Abounding in love. His love for you is not half hearted. It's not it's not measured. It's not metered. It's abounding. What a description. How are you doing at remembering this about him? How are you doing at remembering this is who God is? Have you forgotten that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love? Have you forgotten that this is how he describes himself? Oh, my soul, remember. Remember that his love is bountiful. Remember that his love is bountiful. But there's a second attribute that God gives to us, and it comes in the very next verse when he's talking to Moses. It comes in the very next verse in Exodus 34. Exodus 34, verse 7, God says this. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Uh Uh-oh, so that first part is on a mug somewhere, right, in somebody's kitchen. This one, maybe not so much. But again, this is God telling us who he is. We need to listen to what he says about himself. Um, He says that while his love is bountiful, his justice is immovable. His justice is immovable. When God looks down on this world of injustice and greed and malice and selfishness and brokenness, he doesn't feel good about that. But he feels wrath about that. And he promises to do something about that. And he has done. And if that justice and judgment makes us uncomfortable, first of all, you're pretty normal. But it also indicates something that Yale theologian Miroslav Volf says, for those of us that are really uncomfortable with a God of judgment and justice, it it is in part due to the fact that we haven't experienced severe injustice. Now, I'm not going to, I don't know everybody's story in here, so I'm not going to just blanket statement and say none of you have experienced severe injustice. However, here in the West... Most of us do not know what it is like to have our village 
decimated and leveled to the ground and our wives and our daughters stolen and our husbands and our brothers executed in front of us. We don't know what that sort of uh, injustice feels like that people in our world do know. And Wolf says, if we had experienced things like that, we would have less problem with the idea of a God who judges, a God who judges right from wrong, a God who judges evil. To put a very fine point on it, he writes, quote, if God were not angry at injustice and deception and did not make a final end to violence, that God would not be worthy of worship. He goes on to ask, do you really want a God who is not a just judge? Who doesn't uphold laws and promote righteousness and judge evil? God says, I judge evil. Just as I am a God of abounding love, I am a God of immovable justice. We want to say he's one or the other. God says, nope, yes, I'm both. But how can he be both? That brings us to the second thing that we got to remember. We got to tell our souls to remember. Oh, my soul, remember what he has done. What he's done. Psalm 103 tells us a litany of things that God has done. It's 17 verbs of action that God has done and is doing in this psalm. But they all boil down to one word. Grace. Grace. What he's done is grace. A verse that sums it up is verse 10. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. See, God the just proclaims sins deserve something. And God the loving proclaims, but I'm not going to heap that desert on you. See, the idea of grace is not that God doesn't care about our sin or that he overlooks sin. The idea is that God treats us as if we weren't the ones who did it. Treats us as if we didn't do the same. How? Because he treated another who never sinned as if he did it all. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, John said about Jesus. In Christ, God came to this world to bear the judgment in our place. In Christ, God satisfies himself by substituting himself. That is grace. While we are shaking our fists at God, he is moving towards us in abundant love. As if we are not the ones shaking our fist at him and wanting to take his position. Reminds me of an old, there's an old, it's, I mean, like 30, 40 years old children's story called The Pirate Who Tried to Capture the Moon. It's the name of the story. So it's about this pirate and this pirate uh, it, it steals everything in sight, but it's never enough. It's never enough for him. And so one night he looks up at the big glowing moon in the sky and he goes, I need to have that. I'm going to get that. I'm going to capture the moon. And so it's all these like strategies he employs. To, he climbs up on the top of his mast thinking maybe he can reach the moon. He ties himself to a flock of birds to try and fly to the moon. He fires his cannons at the moon. Of course, none of this works. So then he gets an idea. <clears throat> 
Let me study up on the moon a little bit. This is a smart, smart pirate for a dumb pirate. Let me study up on the moon a little bit and find out what the moon loves. And then I'm going to steal all that stuff that the moon loves and draw the moon down to me. So he learns that the moon loves to peek through curtains. So he just like, you know, snatches up all the curtains on his island. He learns that the moon likes to float in uh, pools of water. So he scoops up all the frog ponds. He learns that the moon loves poets. So he kidnaps them and locks them in the bottom of his ship. And sure enough, the moon looks down and sees that all that it loves is gone and comes closer to take a look. But then something interesting happens. You see, the pirate may not have properly estimated the size of the moon. So here he is standing on this island and he's shaking his sword and the moon is coming closer and closer And as it's happening, the moon is getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it is taking up all of the sky. And I'll I'll read you the, the end of the story. Moonlight spread over the waves. It covered his empty island. The pirate stared into its light and a wild shiver ran through him like a wave. And then he lowered his sword and then he dropped his armor and he whispered, moon, wonderful moon, it is you who have captured me. And the moon glowed through him and above him and then slowly it started back into the sky until once again it sailed as it pleased. It drifted over the sea, over the island where now there was someone new the moon loved who loved the moon. We shake our swords at God. We try to capture his very throne and make it our own. And he moves towards us. And in the most beautiful act of grace the universe has ever experienced, he gives up his life to capture our hearts. And you know something in Luke's gospel tells us something really interesting because it tells us when Jesus is hanging on the cross, the, you know, he's got a couple of thieves next to him. And one of the thieves being crucified next to him um, looks over at Jesus and says, can you remember me when you enter your kingdom? Can you remember me? And Jesus, what does he say to him? He says, today you will be with me in paradise. Amazing. Think about what is, what's happening in that moment. As Jesus is being cast out of paradise and experiencing ultimate darkness, he's thinking of those he's going to get out of darkness and bring into paradise. As Jesus is experiencing what it is to be completely forgotten, he is remembering that thief and this thief and these. When we tell our souls to remember, what are we saying? We're saying, soul, remember the one who never forgets you. He won't forget you. You're precious to him. And that's the third thing we need to remember. Who he is, what he's done. And three, because of that, who we are to him. Who we are to him. In verse 13, the psalmist reminds himself of one of the most powerful metaphors in the Bible for God's love, but actually fairly infrequent in the Old Testament. As a father 
has compassion on his children. As a father has compassion on his children. What do you need to remember every day, every moment of your life? That there is a banner that hangs over your life. And that banner says, beloved child of God. That's who you are. That's your identity. Verse 11, you need to remember. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. You know what's happening in verse 11? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. This is God's way of like a parent saying, stretching their arms out and saying, this is how much I love you. Except God is stretching out the galaxies to say that to his children. Oh, my soul, remember. Remember who you are today. You're a beloved child of the king. There's a pastor in our denomination, he may be retired now, but I think he's still with us, um, uh, named Bob Peterson. Um, I believe he's down in South Florida, but he, he has this incredible story of his childhood, very tragic beginning. Um, he, was, his, it was, he was taken out of a horrific, abusive environment in his family uh, and then put into a foster System And from ages 6 to 12, he was in eight different homes he experienced. He was starved in some homes. He witnessed incredible domestic violence. Uh, he himself was abused, so it didn't get better. It was, it was horrific. And um, uh, meanwhile, and, and this was in eastern Washington, meanwhile in western Washington, a, a couple in their mid-40s wanted, they felt like God had told them to adopt uh, a teenage boy. And so the state brings them this book, 500 pictures and names in it, and, and the wife is flipping through this book, and in Bob's words, for reasons known only to God, she landed on my picture and said, that's my son. And he said, I'll never forget, it was, the, it was December 1959, eastern Washington, it was snowing, and down the street comes this woman who I'd never seen before, who enfolds me in her flesh. And says, I love you. I love you, Bobby. And he said, I'd never heard those words. And he said, as tears streamed down my face, she asked me, Bobby, will you be my son? Will you be my son? To be a Christian means to hear in your heart that question from God Almighty. And you say, yes. And if maybe, I don't know who's here today, but maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't taken that step of faith. If you hear him asking you that question, don't tarry. Don't delay. Say yes. He wants you to say yes. Because again, his justice is immovable. You only have two options. You can stand on your own two feet. And on your track record and on your motivations and on your willpower and on your supposed ability to be able to live as you were designed and created to live. Or you can stand on the foundation of someone else, which is Jesus and all that he has done for you perfectly. And I advise the latter. Because if we just try and stand on our own two feet, we will not stand for long in the presence Of a God who is a perfect judge. Of a God of justice. But he beckons you stand upon Christ and receive adoption into his family. 
And when you receive that, you never have to question who you are to him. You can, like David, and you can, like the people of of old, everyone who has ever put their faith and trust in Jesus, you can remind your own soul every day. Soul, remember, forget not, soul, who you are to him. You are the beloved, his beloved child. Here's how I want to end. I want us to just take a moment now, and and I want to try and put us to try and put this into practice. You may have a a treasure trove of amazing memories of what God has done for you and in you, um, and you may not. And so, um, what I want to do is for the next few minutes, I'm going to ask all of us to. uh, We're just going to close our eyes, and I'm going to read some promises of scripture um, as a reminder to myself and to you of what he's done for you, who he is and who you are to him for us to practice remembering. Let's just close your eyes and let some of these promises sink in. And then I'm going to pray for us. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed. Yet God's unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Nor his covenant of peace be removed. He who began this good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. For we can be convinced of this, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Heavenly Father, this this life can be hard. It can be very hard. But I'm reminded of what Peter said to you, Lord, when things got hard. To whom would we go? 
To whom would we go? You alone have the words of life. Father, thank you for words of life. Thank you for your word this morning. This ancient word. Thousands of years old word. That you wanted each and every person in this room to hear. Because that's how much you care. Lord, remind us of our identity of being the beloved in Christ today. And would you teach these forgetful hearts, mind chief among them, to remember, to remember. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.